The world of ministry to teenagers can offer a full range of emotion, interesting challenges, rewarding victories, and discouraging difficulty. It is important to remember that the work we do with students is vital. It is good to be reminded that what you do matters and is appreciated. We hope that the time you spend here will encourage you and equip you to hit the mark in life and ministry. Welcome to the Scopehost Podcast, impacting youth ministry in Oklahoma and beyond. Hello and welcome to the Scopehost Podcast. This is Todd Sanders with the BGCO, and I'm in studio with... Matt Robertson, lead pastor of the Met Church in Houston, Texas. So that was going to be my next question, but you took it. Where do you live now? What are you doing? Of course, our listeners, we've had uh, had you on before and uh, maybe talked uh, about some of the things we're going to talk about today a little bit, but it's always good to have these conversations. Um, so just tell us uh, kind of uh, where your family is, what's going on with you these days, how are things? Yeah, man, things are good. I'm uh, married to Jennifer for 18 years. We have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old girls that... Uh, are the joy of our life. And uh, my wife is a registered nurse there in the Houston area. We live in Northwest Houston, a suburb called Tomball. And uh, I've been in Houston for seven and a half years, served in multiple multiple capacities in the church. I was a worship leader for about three years, um, was a campus pastor with a multi-site philosophy for a couple of years. And, uh, and then within that same church became the senior pastor in the last two years. So I've had really an, a real interesting um uh, path <laughs> to get where I am. Um, but you know, it's really all because of some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm just glad to be here. Yeah. Because you originally went to, uh, the Met as a worship pastor. I did. I, I, um, I had been on the road for several years, uh, kind of full time and really felt like I was completely alone. I, I was not, when I say alone, it's not that I didn't love the guys in my band, but I really was not very intentional in the way that we were living. We were just doing gigs and I was kind of building my own thing. If I'm just being really crass and honest. And I just felt like we needed to be a part of the local church. I knew that's why God made us, wanted us to contribute to the kingdom in that regard. So uh, I began to look for places where I could go full time and serve with the gifts that God had given me. And God took us to Houston in uh, January of 2011. Very good. Yeah. And then you arm wrestled the pastor and, and I won, won and I won. you became yeah, it's, senior it's pastor. A, you know, it's a pretty barbaric uh, thing yeah, that they I, do know, in I think Texas. a lot of things could be decided. They're very way. proud of themselves in Texas, but you know, I, I can't. I can't lie. Their arm wrestling is. It's legit. It's a pretty good way to settle things once and for all. Yeah, I mean, when I you mean, have we're arms just like, kidding. That's not arms how like that this. Happened. But but you're in a different role than you started in. So uh, that transition and that kind of thing. And we're not going to necessarily talk about transitions today, but I do know that at the Met, um, disciple making, um, small groups, uh, that is a culture that is near and dear to your congregational heart. And so it's what you guys are about. Um, it's how you're structured. It's how you guide people. So um, I just wanted to talk about that idea about developing developing others um, as we grow in spiritual discipline and maturity, um, how that looks in your context. And then maybe we could end with some practical things that you could point leaders to as they consider that as well in their uh, congregations. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, five, six years ago, I think uh, I've been around the church my whole life. My dad was a Baptist preacher. And um, so I understand the, the mantra of ministry building up to 
being a part of a church was that Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And so as a worship leader, that mantra made a lot of sense to me, right? Because I got to prepare, make sure all the songs are there, make sure all the technology's working right, make sure everything really supports the message of the speaker. And then, you know, everybody leaves, goes to lunch at their favorite restaurant. And, you know, that's basically where the vast majority of our people are getting their spiritual food. We know just statistically, uh, however, that people only attend church on average nationwide less than two times a month. And so um, I started thinking, you know, if I only worked on a random relationship less than a couple of times a month, I would never actually have a deep abiding friendship with that person. And the same can be said of the person of Jesus. Like I love the idea of conversion, but I only spend time with him when I attend church. I don't really abide with him in his word. I'm not really memorizing scripture. I'm not meditating. I'm not worshiping him personally. And so all those spiritual disciplines, it's like, thanks for reminding me on whatever Sunday I happen to come. And this was the condition uh, of not just the Global Sea Church, but really of our, of our church. It was very Sunday morning centric. And so like six years ago, five years ago, we embarked on this new philosophy that said, you know, we're going to be a discipleship first culture, which means that Sunday is second. And it was a transition. And so, um, you know, the Met's a pretty large church. She's 50 years old, has probably 3,500 in attendance on a weekend. And so it was just a really significant it would be a cruise ship trying to turn a cruise ship around in a harbor, right? So we knew it was going to be slow and methodical, but um, we believed that each and every person, number one, was designed by God to be in relationship with him, yes, but also in relationship with each other. And um, if we could lead people to follow Jesus in this way, to be in a relationship with him and to walk that out, that faith out in a, in a real meaningful relationship with someone else, that we would see a different level of growth because it wouldn't just be about the things that we were teaching them. It wouldn't just be about the curriculum that we were, you know, releasing hot off the press. It would actually be that we sit down in my living room and we live life together and we sort of discover our life uh, in Christ. And as Paul says, we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And I think that um, it's been really neat to watch God kind of adjust the culture of our church. I mean, completely turn it upside down. And even though we still appreciate the worship service, we believe that um, that's really the top of the funnel. That's where people uh, come. That's where they come and gather. And it's such a... Um, it's a remarkable opportunity to reach the lost because if anybody's going to check out a church, they're probably not just going to show up on a random Thursday. They're going to look for service times. They're going to show up on a Sunday morning. And so we still want that to be giving God our absolute best in that environment. But if that's all there is to spiritual life, then it, it, it gets hollow very quickly. And we just see this throughout the church. We see a lot of people who have been converted to faith in Christ, but who really have stayed infantile and childlike in their faith. And because of that, um, you know, I look at what Jesus said to Peter when he said, you know, Peter looks and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but only, you know, that you've been revealed to this by the father. He said, and so Peter, you're, you're correct. And, and on this declaration, on this rock, I will build my church. And then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as I looked as a staff member at the culture of the American church, I began to realize something. I don't think we're really storming the gates of hell at all collectively. I know that God is doing amazing things in certain parts of the country, in certain parts of the world, but collectively speaking, um, it just convicted me that uh, regardless of the status of the American thing, like I want to contribute differently as a follower of Jesus Christ. And I was extremely Sunday morning centric in my approach to ministry. And so I decided in that moment, look, I'm going to 
I've got to have to live this out. I'm gonna have to walk this out. And then whatever happens beyond that happens beyond that. And so, um, ironically, as that began to happen is when all of this shift in my personal life happened from worship leader, then to a campus pastor, then to a senior pastor. Uh, it's very much paralleled this path of me being a, what I would call a reproducing biblical disciple of mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah, that is a tough shift to move from just this Sunday centric to borrow uh, kind of from a, a phrase you use there um, mentality to, to look beyond that and think, <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought you were about to say something. No, I was listening oh, okay. very carefully. <laughs> okay. 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 So I was like, okay, what's he about to, to say? To move beyond this. <laughs> it's hard sorry, when you only so, have. <laughs> sorry for that pause. <laughs> Matt was having a moment. Uh, so I was waiting to hear what the moment was. Um, to, to move from that Sunday-centric mentality. Although, I mean, that's good, right? The effort we put into that, that experience. But um, when it's just that Sunday-centric mentality, then what we've done is we've, we've funneled uh, the available opportunity to minister and to serve and to grow down to a few people uh, because it's going to come to the bottleneck of that leadership um, what, whatever the number is that's, that are available, those spots. And so for us to see the church outside of that is, is a tough transition sometimes. So um, in, in that, okay, so in this philosophical shift, um, now you said your church meets on a cruise ship? Is that, <laughs> did you, that, you that said your church ama- meets on a cruise ship? That would be amazing. In that the harbor, is that Houston? Uh, yeah, it's it, the harbor would be Houston. The cruise ship is on 13,000. Oh, no, 000. you were saying it's like yeah, a... Right. Okay, you were speaking metaphorically. Metaphorically, completely. Thanks for uh, clarifying. In similes. Sorry I didn't do that. Although a, a cruise ship church would be cool. Um, so, we so have those. In, <laughs> it's, it's a very difficult transition. So in your context, as you've gone this philosophical shift, what are some things that were helpful in helping you move to that relational discipleship, disciple making, reproducing, I think is the word, yeah. reproducing disciple of Christ. That, what, what are the things that you've done? That well, practically speaking, that? a couple a couple of books that I would recommend. Uh, number one is a, is a book by a guy named Jim Putman called Church is a Team Sport. Uh, and the whole premise of that is that it doesn't just, to your, to your point, it doesn't just rest on the backs of certain individuals. Everybody thinks it's like, hey, it's the job of the pastor, it's the job of the staff to really be disciples and to make disciples. And I get to sit here and pay them to do that. Um, and so that book is, was a real eye-opener for me. Another one was called Real Life Discipleship, written by the same author. Uh, and then I went to a two-day experience up there. But I came away from all of that reading and all that stuff with really this. There's really five key components to a disciple-making church. Um, there's a biblical foundation for relationship, understanding that when you read Genesis to Revelation that it's a love story. And we've all heard that before, but if you really if you really take relationship and you you use that as the lens by which you read by which you read the word through dude it's amazing at how this this just how the pages of scripture come to, came to life for me i've been around the bible and about my, my parents being my dad being a pastor and being around that forever but to read the bible through that you know when when god looks and says it's not good for man to be alone when the ten commandments are given you know like when the when the fruit of the spirit then in the new testament's given all of those things are relational all of them 
And to use that as this new understanding of why God made us is the first big thing. Uh, then we talk about the purpose of like an intentional leader. And so it's not enough that we just provide resources for somebody, but there also needs to be somebody who knows and has in mind what they're going to do. It's like when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he looks at his disciple and they're, he's, they're, they're freaking out because they're like, man, all these guys are hungry. What are we going to do? How is this supposed to go? And Jesus, he says, hey, you feed them. And then the next line in that passage says, for he already had in mind uh, what he was about to accomplish. And so it's an intentional leader, a biblical foundation for relationship, uh, a relational environment. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing on Sunday morning, if really it's all about the pastor comes and brings the, the truth and you and, and your wife, Angela, and me and my wife, Jennifer, and we sit in the crowd and we receive it and that's it then there's really, that's like the antithesis of a relational environment. That's really a teacher-student. And I think Sunday school uh, is, is amazing for the in-depth study of the Word of God and to dive into the deep principles. But when it comes to me learning how to really walk those things out, if I don't have somebody in my life relationally, like, I think it's impossible. Um, and then, you know, at the end of that, it's like making sure that your church is just aligned philosophically and relationally to the right things. Um and, uh, and then you need to have a reproducible disciple-making process. You need to be able, Jesus didn't say uh, to those that are called, go and make disciples. Uh, you could make a case depending upon your theological bent, but the way that I read it is that um, as you're going, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the everyday life for each and every one of us, this is the, so it's not just for the outgoing extrovert, um, the introvert is called. It's not just for the platform speaker, uh, but the person who writes curriculum is called. It's for all, any and all of us are to be about that business. And if that's the case, then the reproducibility, the multiplication thing has to really play into our strategy to win the world for Jesus Christ. Mm. That's good. Um, in in that in that uh, shift, let's take a break here. Come back. We'll talk segment two about um, maybe some aha moments for your congregation, and then what maybe has been a difficult part of of changing the direction of of your uh, congregational culture. So, uh, hang tight. We'll be back with segment two. Let's go post podcast with Matt Robertson. We're back for segment two, and uh, we've got Matt Robertson in studio. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. It was an amazing break. Thanks for that. It was a great break. We were able to go do so much during that break. It was enjoyable. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about this. Changing that culture to a discipleship mindset, disciple-making mindset, um, in being that kind of congregation, what uh, what are some aha moments that you saw in your – uh, leadership in your staff or in your congregation that you could peg as a as a pastor. Yeah, the biggest uh, biggest aha moments for this for the congregation. Um, I think number one is like a, we talked a little bit earlier, but just realizing like what the main thing is. Uh, I know that there's been guys out there like Eric Geiger, those that have written books about simple church. I think there's a lot of validity to the idea of not overcomplicating discipleship. And so um, an aha moment for us was that each and every person in the crowd was responsible to participate in this mission advancement. And when, when we, and we, we really hammer that each and every week from the stage. We talk about the importance of being in relationship, of being a disciple, um, of making disciples. Uh, another aha moment, and this one was, was cool, it's out of Matthew 4, verse 19. I think I've shared this with you before. Um, but when we gave everybody a clear definition of what a disciple was, they, it was amazing how many people is like, 
when I sit down and say, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I would ask the crowd to raise their hands and I'd get literally 90% participation. But if I said, are you a disciple maker? I might get three in a, in a, in a crowd of a thousand adults. And it was just like, Okay, so these people have not caught on to the idea that their participation in the mission, in the kingdom advancement piece, is a massive part of their personal spiritual development. And so when we said, let's just real clarify what a disciple is, and the way that we say it is that the definition of a disciple is in the invitation. So Jesus says, um, Matthew 4, verse 19, he's calling his first disciples. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Very, a verse that we're all familiar with. And so the come and follow me, we just say a disciple is somebody who knows, has a relationship with, and is following Jesus Christ. Most people are like, yeah, I remember when, I remember the time when I gave my life to Christ. Maybe it was at Falls Creek. Maybe it was in your church. Maybe it, wherever it was, I know where I was when God got a hold of my life and I surrendered my life to him. Okay, good. You're knowing you follow Jesus. Number two, it says, I will make you, which implies that uh, you don't actually arrive it's something that's consistently happening. It's, it's always going on. There's this constant transformational work in us as believers. So um, I will make you into something. And then finally, he says, a fisher of men. And so it's not like I will make you smart and give you a bunch of head knowledge and or I will make you a great musician or I will make you an amazing teacher. It's no, I'm going to make you missional. I'm going to set you apart yeah. for my purposes. And when we gave that to people and they finally grabbed a hold of that, they're like, oh my gosh, this isn't just Matt's job. This isn't just the staff's job. This is what Jesus has called me to yeah, be. That's good. That's good. Um, so in that aha moments, the other side of that, uh, what's been maybe the biggest uh, headache or roadblock to people embracing that shift? Yeah, for us, uh, this might not be a popular uh, a subject around it, but the real, the real, the biggest, uh, we're still dealing with it a little bit, was the difference between what is, what purpose does Sunday school play versus what purpose does relationship and small group play? Um, and I think, um, you know, coming from a Baptist culture myself, um, <clears throat> Sunday school is highly uh, structured. It's it's very strategic. Uh, there's a ton of advantages to it. And for the most part, I would say that people that have been in those Sunday school classes for years and years and years together, they have real, authentic, abiding relationships with God and with each other. And nobody questions that. But when we started introducing this idea that we wanted people to do small groups in their homes, we wanted them to be literally missional, and that the purpose of the group was not to create a, a holy huddle for the next 25 years, but that we need you to understand that if you've been with the same group for 25 years, even Jesus himself didn't do that. So if we're going to model Jesus, who we believe is the best disciple maker, the most intentional leader that ever existed, even he looked at his disciples and said, hey, look, it's time for me to go. I'm going to leave the spirit with you. You're going to do greater things than I'm going to do. And that was a huge struggle for our people, this idea of, hey, when someone is mature enough to lead someone else, we need to branch that group and we need to we need to then begin to grow. And it's not just a topical study on John. It's walking through the detailed stuff of life and using scripture as the backdrop for all of that. Mm. And uh, it's been a struggle. I mean, our, uh, I would still say after after about five years of moving that, we, we've probably we've gone from you know, literally started with two or three, what we would call intentional disciple-making small groups. Uh, we have over 125 groups now and meeting in people's homes throughout Northwest Houston uh, with a couple of different campuses as a part of that. And um, But we still have three or 400 folks on the weekends in Sunday school doing in-depth Bible study. And I think that uh, 
you know, my responsibility as a leader is to begin to coach them and pull them along, but at the same time understanding that there really is purpose in both of those things. But that's been a hurdle, uh, creating language that everybody can grab a hold of, um, not isolating either one of those groups in a negative way, letting them see that there's really a place for both of those things to play mm. in the overall picture in the heart of the church. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, I, and I think that's probably a struggle that um, – any of us that have been in a local church where we're trying to shift culture and mindset and create a new language, like you're saying, we've all faced that. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to take a quick break right, uh, right here. We'll come back and uh, look at maybe two or three just suggestions, practical handles you might suggest church leaders could grab hold of in changing uh, their church culture into, or even their youth group, youth ministry, Sunday school, into a um, disciple-making uh, body. All right, we'll be right back with the Scopos Podcast with Matt Robertson. And we're back for segment three. Matt, um, why don't you take us out of here with just two or three practical suggestions that you would have for pastors, uh, mostly youth ministers or youth Sunday school workers, youth workers, that they could practice in order to move their church in this direction? That's awesome. And to all of you guys out there and gals that are, that are working with students on a regular basis, uh, I was a student pastor for five years, and I remember... Um, just having this idea in my head of like, you know, I know how to attract the kids. I know how to get the kids where I want them to be. I know how to have fun. Uh, but how do I actually disciple students? And I remember that being a real struggle of mine. Uh, and now I would just say that God has just been really gracious to me personally on this journey to just say, hey, look, don't worry so much about everybody else yet. Uh, Matt, if you if you don't know how to be a disciple, then you're going to have a difficult time making a disciple. And so my first challenge to each and every one of us, no matter what area of ministry or volunteerism, whatever you're doing, um, you really you can lead people where you're not willing, where you've never been, but you can't lead people somewhere where you're not willing to go. Uh, and pastors need to hear this too. Uh, we we think programmatically more than we think personally. And God calls us to be disciples, and in the definition of a disciple is the fact that I'm missional in my in my approach, but I have to go and have an abiding relationship with Christ. I have to be in real, meaningful, authentic relationships with other people who can call me out on my stuff and who can be real and ask me the hard questions of life. If I don't have that, then my personal spiritual development is really marginalized at that point. So I think somehow we've bought into the idea that I can have, you know, uh, on a scale of zero to 10, I can have an, a level eight relationship with God, even though emotionally and and, uh, and personally, I can, I'm only in a level four relationship with the people around me. At the end of the day, that, that relationship uh, with people is a direct mirror of my relationship with God. So if I'm a four with the people around me and I'm not willing to dive into those things and really go there, it really just reflects my relationship with Christ. And I, I would just say that um, it's it's a huge part of, of this whole thing is that you model what you expect from your students. The second thing I'll say is remember, remember that the parents and the volunteers is, is really, they need to take a front seat in our approach into student ministry. Um, if you can invest intentional disciple-making tools and methods, teach them how to be active listeners, teach them the, the skill of asking really, really good questions, teach them the skill of confidentiality 
You know what I mean? You give them opportunities and make them more savvy in how they deal with the students. You'll be amazed at the maturity of your group and how it always will reflect the attitude of your leaders. Mm. And then finally, I would say keep the big church small as best you can. So we gather. We love the idea as a as a communicator. I love being in a room with you know, a ton of people in there. It just gives me energy and life. But the most effective thing is when those kids can get into a group of eight to 12 and you got a really intentional leader sitting around there and he or she really understands the significance and the battleground that's being waged in that moment. And they have the tools and they have the skill set to really disciple those students. That's good. And so spend as much time as you can with your leaders. Take them out to, you know, to coffees, take them to lunches, find out what's going on in their life and model the very way that you would want them to lead your students. Model that with the way that you lead them. That's good. Good stuff. Matt, thanks so much for your time, uh, carving out some time in your busy week here. And uh, we appreciate it, as always, and uh, know that our listeners will benefit from the time we've spent here today. Um, so thanks for tuning into the Scopos Podcast. Again, this is Todd Sanders, and I'm in studio with... Matt Roberts. And we are so glad you joined us. Thanks for having uh, me. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on the Scopos Podcast, where we help you hit the mark in life and ministry. Scopos and the Scopos Podcast are ministries of the BGCO and made available through the generous gifts of Oklahoma Baptist to the cooperative program. Find out more about Oklahoma Youth Ministry at scopos.org. free time my favorite thing to do in my free time favorite little rascal alpha, alpha? i thought that's where i thought that's where you're going with the question that's a good question though yeah i think mine might be uh porky or um uh, hmm. maybe but uh, we yeah alpha is pretty good alpha is pretty good i mean i like him because he's a general yeah i think um i think he's really the leader of the pack <laughs> Yes, yeah, I don't know. It's debatable. Is it Spanky or is it Afafa? Oh. Or is it Darla? Darla's the, she's kind of the, uh, what's the word? I mean, she is the single reason why they have the He-Man woman. She's really more indirectly leading, but yeah, she's, she's got skills. She has influence.